Amen. Amen. God is good. John opens his letter with these words, 1 John chapter 1. Not those words, actually. These words. Dramatic pause. John chapter 1, verse 1. There we go. There it is. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. I mean, did you hear what John is saying? He's saying that he saw God. He's saying that he saw the one who existed from the beginning with his own eyes, that, that he touched God with his own hands. I mean, think about that. That's some crazy stuff. John is saying that, that he had an encounter, uh, that he experienced fellowship with the living God. And listen, this fisherman was never the same. I, I mean, the guy whose nickname growing up was a son of thunder because of his volant temper. I mean, you remember in the Gospels when when the town didn't want to hear Jesus teaching, uh, John wanted to call in airstrikes on that village. Hey, let's just nuke them. All right, let's just take them out. This guy, known for his violent temper, now we know him as the disciple, the apostle of love. Since August the 24th, we've been in this series called Never the Same. And it's a series where we're flipping through the pages of the gospel and we're meeting men and women who had an encounter with the living God an encounter that left them never the same. In week one, we, we met a lady who, uh, when she met Jesus, she was expecting condemnation. Uh, but instead, she found that grace happens, that grace is happening, and that grace always happens at the feet of Jesus. And, and last week, we met a guy, a guy who was literally crippled by a problem by an issue for 38 years. He, I mean, he was paralyzed. He was unable to move. And, and this guy discovered that, that Jesus wants to do so much more for us than simply remove our problems, simply take care of the issues and challenges in our life, but that Jesus wants to take us to himself. Uh, uh, that Jesus wants to do more than simply make our marriage well, make our finances well, make our health well, but that Jesus wants to make our soul well. He wants to make us well down deep. Maple Grove, do you want to get well? Or do you just want Jesus to take care of a problem in your life? Remember, our problem is not really our problem. And removing that problem is not the true answer to real lasting wellness. Amen? And today, as we flip through the Gospels, we're going to stop at John chapter 4, and we're going to meet a, 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 a thirsty woman at a well. A woman whose life could well be summarized by a, a classic rock song, and classic rock is defined by as the best music ever in the 1970s, right? 
and, and I heard this song live at uh, John F. Kennedy Stadium in Philadelphia on June 17, 1978. Um, here's what the guys looked like who sang the song, and here's the song that they sang that would describe this woman's life. Go. Can you see Mick right now? a little different now. I think if you Google image, that some people have it rolled out to the next 200 years, but then again, we all look a little different than we did back in 1978 if we were around then. Um, but understand, this lady we meet in John chapter 4, she just couldn't get no satisfaction, though she tried, and 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 she tried. And you know what? I think most of us would have to admit that sometimes uh, that seems to, what, seems to be the way that life is. We just can't get no satisfaction, even though we try and we try and we try. Uh, uh, God's prophet, Haggai, wrote these words 2,500 years ago. Here's what he wrote. Uh, you have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you do not become full. You drink, but you are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you're not warm enough. You earn money. Well, this seems true, right? But then you lose it all as if you put it into a purse full of holes. You expect it much, but see, it turned out to be little. Now, that's a pretty graphic picture of a dissatisfied life. No matter how much they ate, drank, put on, or earned, it was never enough. It, it never satisfied. And whenever they expected something to give them what they needed, they always came up short. You know, I, I think for the most part, our world, and especially our country, is filled with dissatisfied people. In fact, our entire economic system is built on our continued dissatisfaction, right? I mean, yeah, I, hey, your car's three years old, <laughs> you know? I know it satisfied you back then in 2011, but hey, look what we got now. Hey, I, I know the, uh, the iPhone, the, the, the 4S was great, but man, there's a 5S, and you know, just wait till there's a 17S coming out or something, right? I mean, it's built on us being dissatisfied. And let me ask this question. Do people who go to church and claim Christ, do they still struggle with being satisfied? You know, it's my guess that there's maybe a few people here today who if asked would say that they're still thirsty, that they still can't get no satisfaction. So they try and they try and they try. I even put a little thing in your notes if you're taking notes to you know, it's your uh, satisfaction level numbers here. Boom. Our boom's not working so well today. I'll get a drink of water. There it is. Boom. Um, what is your satisfaction level? What is your LSL? Okay. You know, a one would be, I can't get no. You know, you put a one, it just ain't working at all. And five would be, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied. What would you... What would you give yourself on that? Question, what do you do when the deep desires of your soul continue to go unsatisfied? I mean, what do you do when 
as the years roll on, you still can't get no satisfaction. Now, some people continue their desperate search, and they keep running from one thing to another, that they run to pleasure, to position, to power, to praise, to success, to accomplishments, looking for life. And that's what God's people were doing in Jeremiah's day, and that's the choice they made, and, and it wasn't working so well for them. Check out these words from Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, God says, my people have done two evils. They have turned away from me the spring of living water, and they have dug their own wells, which are broken that cannot hold water. You know, and, and I brought me a, whatever this would be, a vase, a vase, a jar, and I was going to fill it with water so I could carry it so it actually would be heavy. And guess what I found when I tried to fill it up in the sink back then? Guess what it had in the bottom? It's like, okay, that's not going to work, you know. It, it, and what God is saying, God is saying, you know, he, he's saying, you know, okay, you have a choice. You, you, can, you can fill your life with, in this jar and it's going to be dry and, and always be pouring out of it. Or you can have a source of living water and never go dry. And the people said, nah, okay, God, appreciate the offer. But I'd much rather have a jar that constantly loses water to build my life on, and you know, it doesn't work. I think that's why David was, was, was said you know, earlier, you know, he says, and if your wealth increases, don't center your life on that because it's not going to work for you. 2,000 years ago, a thirsty woman at a well met the king of glory, and she was never the same. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4 or open up your Bible app, and, and as you're doing that, i, I got to give a little bit, little a necessary background information. And, you know, as John chapter 4 opens up, Jesus is moving his ministry from uh, Judea in the, in, the, in the south to Galilee in, in the north. And now, 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 why is he going from Judea to Galilee? Well, for a couple reasons. Number one, uh, because things were really getting hot in Judea. Uh, his popularity is growing. He's performing amazing miracles and and teaching some pretty uh, mind-blowing and powerful things, both of which are leaving the people amazed and the religious leaders ticked off. And Jesus does not yet want to have a head-on confrontation with the Jewish leaders uh, who had just arrested John the Baptist because it was not time for Jesus to go to the cross. A second reason Jesus is heading north is because it was time to fulfill some scripture. You see, the prophet Isaiah said that when the Messiah comes, he's going to do a lot of his ministry in the area of Galilee, an area that suffered much under the foreign powers that attacked God's people. In Isaiah 9-1, we read this. There will be a time in the future. Not now, it's hard now. There will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea, will be filled with glory. And let me tell you, when God in the flesh, walked in Galilee. Man, that was some serious glory walking in that area. Now, another piece of information that helps us understand this encounter that takes place in John 4 is the relationship between Jew and Samaritan and between men and women. First, let's look at the relationship between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. Basically, they hated each other. And that hatred had a thousand-year history. Uh, let me quickly summarize that history. It, it began when... Uh, David's son Solomon died. He, he, was the, he was the third king of Israel, and when he died, the nation divided into two, right? You, you had Israel in the north, Jude, Judah or Judea in the south, and for centuries they fought each other, brother fighting brother, never a good thing. And then in 
721 B.C., the Assyrian Empire came in and conquered the north, and these guys were cruel and very smart, and the way they kept a conquered people in check was, you know, they kill a bunch of you, you know, take, take, take more into captivity, leave some of you there, settle some of their own people, and then bring in people that they had conquered from other nations, so you had this huge mixing of people from different backgrounds, and eventually what happened is that they would wind up marrying each other. And so the bloodline of Israel, you know, Abraham's bloodline, it got all messed up, and the Jews in the south didn't like that, right? They didn't like the mixed breeds. And, and then what happened is then when the Jewish people in the south, when they were conquered, they come back to rebuild the temple, right? And, and the people in the north said, hey, can, we'd like to help you rebuild the temple. And you know what the people in the south said? Ain't happening. We, you half-breeds will have no part in building our temple, or in our worship, all right? By the way, that's not a good way to build relationships and bring people back together. So the Samaritans went back home, and they built their own temple on the top of Mount Gerasim, which is right above where this well we're going to read about in John 4 is sitting. They edited the Bible and only kept the first five chapters. And the hatred continued to grow, and then at about 120 B.C., when the Jewish people in the south got some power, they literally stormed Mount Gerasim and destroyed this alternate temple. So you can see that the hatred between uh, the Jews and Samaritan, it, it ran deep, kind of like the Shiites and the Sunnis, and Sunnis in, in the Middle East. And the relationship between men and women wasn't much better. You see, there's only th one thing worse than a Samaritan. You know what that was? A Samaritan woman, right? You know, women in Jesus' day were for the most part deemed unworthy of respect, unworthy of education, unworthy of religious training. So what we have in John 4 is an encounter that should never have taken place. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Uh, rabbis uh, uh, would never speak to a woman. I mean, a first century reader would uh, barely expect Jesus and this woman to even acknowledge each other's presence, much less have a conversation. And so John writes this. So he left Judea to return to Galilee and then he says this, he had to go through Samaria on the way. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, this morning I was thinking about, like, Jesus had countless encounters with people as he walked the earth. Only a few of them are recorded. So therefore, you know, if the Holy Spirit said, of all these encounters, these are the ones I want you to put in this book, so that 2,000 years from now, so that on September the 7th, 2014, in Charlottesville, Virginia, when a group of people gather at 3210 Prophet Road, you need to put this one on in the Bible so that they will hear these words from me on this day. So these are very important. God, if God brought you here today, then he brought you here to speak to you. And, and those of us who have ears to hear will hear. Amen? Amen. 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 I like amens. Someone says, I, when I say amen, I'm asking for an amen, and they're right, I am. <laughs> I'm, new, I'm not too proud to beg. All right. So he left Judea to return to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria. Let's hit the pause button. He had to go through Samaria? Uh, what's this he had to go? I mean, any self-respecting Jew of that period would make it a point not to go through Samaria. In fact, when most Jews made the trips from Judea in the far south to Galilee in the far north, 
they would avoid Samaria altogether. They would literally cross the Jordan River, travel in an area called the Transjordan, wait until they were far as north of Samaria as they possibly could, and then cross over again so that the dust of the Samaritans wouldn't touch their sandals and make them unclean. So why did Jesus find it necessary? Why did he have to go through Samaria? Uh, Number one, I think, to send out the message loud and clear that he came to save all people. Jews and Samaritans, slave and free, young and old, rich and poor. And number two, because there was a thirsty lady at a well who needed a drink of living water. Eventually came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Would you, would you pray with me? And, you know, let's pray, you know, palms open if you so desire, symbolic that you're ready to receive from God this morning. God, we love you and we, God, we humbly come into your presence. God, we need you. And God, we admit, I admit, Lord, that I often yeah, too often look for satisfaction in the wrong things. God, that, that I, I dig my own wells at times that cannot hold water. And then I wonder why I can't get no satisfaction. And God, I don't always heed David's advice not to center my life on anything but you, my rock and my salvation. And so God, I pray that this story about a real person 2,000 years ago who had an encounter with your son when he wore flesh, God, I, I pray that it speaks to us. I pray that we hear your voice. God, God I, I pray that none of us miss the opportunity to encounter you right now. And God, I, I pray that, God, I pray that somehow you find a way to use me, that you find a way to speak through me. God, I, I don't want to get in the way. Um, God, but help me to present your truth in a way that, that my voice is not heard, but only yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As she walked over and looked out of her small, narrow window, she saw that the the sun was high in the sky. It was near the sixth hour, 12 noon. And she she could tell it was going to be another hot day, not even the smallest of breezes to break the heat. Uh, Now, she knew that this was not the best time to go to the well to draw water. The heat made the trip down the dusty road extremely difficult, almost unbearable. Sure, she would have rather gone in the morning when the sun was down, when the air was cool, when, when the birds were still out singing, but she didn't have a choice. You see, that's when the other women in the town went to draw water. And, and she just couldn't face the stares, the whispering, and the cold shoulders. Not anymore. She had had enough. You see, all the women in Sychar either treated her as though she was the scum of the earth, shouting cruel things, or they completely ignored her altogether. Yes, a walk in the hot sun was a small price to pay to escape their sharp tongues. Here she comes. Have you heard? She's got a new man. She's not even married to this one. They say she'll sleep with anyone. There she is. She might hear us as if they even cared. At one time, she had been a beautiful woman, golden brown hair, deep brown eyes. At one time, she had been a little girl playing in the dirt. 
And just like every other small child, her life was full of laughter, of hope, of wonder and dreams. But the years since those days had not been kind to her, aging her well beyond her years, leaving deep scars within her souls. You see, in her life, she had felt the sting of rejection. Uh, She was a Samaritan, strike one. She was a woman, strike two. She was married five times, strike three, strike four, strike five, strike six, strike seven. Five husbands, five different beds, five different rejections. I mean, this lady, she knew the the sound of slamming doors. She she knows the pain of harsh words. She she knows the feeling of being tossed to the curb like a worn-out pair of sandals. She knows what it means to love and receive no love in return. I mean, her current guy won't even give her his name. He only lets her share his bed. How did my life get so messed up? This is not how I dreamed things would be, she said to herself. Each night as she cried herself to sleep, and each morning as she tried to find both the strength and a reason to get out of bed, she felt so alone, even though she lived in the city surrounded by people. It was like she wasn't even there. No one noticed. No one cared. No one even reached out to her. I mean, even a surface, hey, how you doing, would have been like a drop of cold water to her weary, parched soul. Often she wondered to herself, what's the use of even going on? If this is all my life will ever be, nothing I ever try seems to work out. Every dream I dare to dream vanishes quicker than the morning mist in the desert heat. But it was time to go, so she heads out the door. Her eyes squint as the sun almost blinds her, and her her shoulder bends as she carries the jar, and and, and her feet kick up the dust in the road. And she keeps her head and eyes down because, to her, avoiding eye contact is the most important thing to do. And and finally, she makes the half-mile journey from her house to Jacob's well, and, and, and she's thinking, if I can do this quick, I can have my jar filled and be out of there without anyone seeing me. But as soon as she lifts her head, Oh, no, who is he? What's he doing here? And he looks Jewish. And it's Jesus. And, and, and God in the flesh, he's pretty wore out. All the pressures and demands crashing down on him. And he'd just taken a 30-mile walk through a dry, hot, dusty land. He, he looked as if he was sleeping, and she thought, you know, if I, I'm quiet enough, I can still get done and, and, and be out of here. But then Jesus opens his eyes, he senses her discomfort, and he says, please give me a drink. And not please get away from me, you unclean, filthy, immoral Samaritan. But please give me a drink. And now this lady had been around the block way too many times to think that all this guy really wanted was simply a drink. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Come on. What's the real reason you're asking me for a drink? And I think Jesus thought to himself, okay, you got me. As tears formed in the corner of his eyes, you're right. I'm here for much more than a drink of water. In fact, I'm here to give you what you have been looking for all of these dry, hurtful, dusty, empty years. And then he says those 25 incredible life-giving words. If you only knew the gift God has for you, a Samaritan woman, and who I am, God in the flesh, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Now, this time she's still thinking physical water, so she responds, all right, how can you give me water? You don't even have a bucket. And if Jacob had to dig this well to get water, who are you to think that you can give me water without digging a well? 
And after she says that, Jesus begins to gently guide this lady down a path that will lead her to a source of water that will satisfy the thirst of her soul, that will lead her to the waters that the prophet Isaiah talked about in Isaiah chapter 55 when he says this. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you have no money, come buy and eat. That always kind of like never makes sense to me, right? You have no money, then how, how can you get it? Well, because guess what? It is free. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. And eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the riches of fare. Jesus replied, people soon become thirsty again after drinking this water. Have you found that to be true? Of all the, all the wells you have drawn from in an effort to quench your thirst? Applause, accomplishments, appearance, pleasure, relationship stuff. I mean, have you found that after a while, though they quench your thirst for a while, you found yourself thirsty again? I'm not going to be honest, I'm thirsty again, so I'm going to take a drink, right? It, it, it worked for a minute. That's so good. Something about water, or water as I call it, from Baltimore. But the water I give takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual swing, spring within them, giving them eternal life. But the water I give them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, now imagine that her eyes must have danced with hope as she began to take in the full impact of Jesus' words. It's as, it's as if Jesus is saying, yeah, it's true. I, I can give you the very thing that you've been looking for all these years what you've always wanted when you were growing up but never found. I, I can fill the hole in your heart that you thought marital love would fill, and it didn't. All these years, you never stopped looking, and you're still thirsty because that thirst can never be quenched from the outside. It must be quenched from the inside. And Jesus is saying, I can do that. And when I do, the life you've always wanted will be yours, and it'll be yours forever. 2,000 years ago, a thirsty woman met Jesus, and she was never the same. Now, she met a, a lot of men before. I mean, the women in her town would be glad to fill us in on the details. But she never met anyone who seemed to offer her something without wanting something in return. I mean, Jesus was different. I mean, she finally met someone who actually cared about her. And then he said it. Why did he have to go there? I mean, they could have talked all day without bringing that one up. Go get your husband, he said. The request seemed to come out of the blue. Her, her face probably turned three shades of red. She wanted to tell him, hey, it's none of your business. She wanted to tell him, hey, I, I don't have to take that from a perfect stranger. I mean, she received enough condemnation from her mom, from her five mother-in-laws and her countless sister-in-laws. However, Jesus didn't say it with a condemning tone. It was a fact. There's no whitewashing it. She hadn't planned for her life to turn out this way. She wasn't proud of it, even though she did try to justify it. But the fact was that she felt both ashamed and embarrassed, as all of us should feel when living in unrepented sin. And maybe she wanted to change the subject. Perhaps she wanted to leave, but she stayed. Kind of like the, the woman we met a few weeks back. She stayed. 
after her persecutors had dropped their stones and went away. And this lady stayed too. And she told the truth. I don't have a husband. And I really love how one author describes this moment. He writes, you probably know the rest of the story. I wish you didn't. I wish you were hearing it for the first time. For if you were, you'd be wide-eyed as you waited to see what Jesus would do next. Why? Because you wanted to do the same thing. You wanted to take off the mask. You wanted to stop pretending. You wondered what God would do if you opened your cobweb-covered door of secret sin. This woman wondered what Jesus would do. She must have wondered if the kindness would cease when the truth was revealed. He will be angry. He will leave. He will, he will think I'm worthless. If you've had the same anxieties and get out your pencil, you'll want to underline Jesus answered. You're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. No criticism, no anger, no what kind of mess have you made of your life lectures? No. It wasn't perfection that Jesus was seeking. It was honesty. You see, it's like Jesus was simply stating the obvious. You've got some issues. You've got some sin, some stains, some hurt, some brokenness. And he's letting her know, like he let the lady know we met a few weeks back. In John chapter 11, that it doesn't have to stay this way. It could be different. And no, Jesus, he didn't have to bring it up. He, he could have avoided the one issue that told so much about who she was and how she was living. But Jesus isn't like that. Uh, understand, Maple Grove, if, if we want someone to sugarcoat our lives and tell us sweet and empty nothings and never point out anything bad or wrong, if we want someone to lie to us, So that we don't feel bad about our wrong choices and sinful lifestyles, we've come to the wrong guy. That's not how Jesus rolls. Maple Grove, if we're here today and and, and we know that that our life has some sin and stains of the unrepented type, the no change and no effort to change, if we know that our life has some brokenness and hurts, we, we best not think that we can do business with Jesus and not have Jesus bring those things up. But really, do you want your doctor to tell you how beautiful your eyes are and avoid telling you about the cancer that he knows you have that is destroying your body and taking away your well-being? No. Understand, that was the way men had been treating her her entire life. One lie, one line after another. But listen. The king of glory did not come to give us lines. He came to give us life. He came to give us abundant life. And now this lady is finally beginning to see, hey, you know this guy leaning against the well? He, 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 he's a lot more than just a guy. He, he's at the very least a prophet of God, and he's, a, he's someone who spoke for God. He, he's a man who knew God. And so she asked him the question that had been burning in her heart for so many years, and A lot of scholars think that what she's doing here is she's changing the subject from this very uncomfortable subject of, hey, you're divorced five times and you're living with the guy right now. And I used to think that way too, but not anymore. Uh, Because I I think something deeper and more powerful is going on here. I I don't think she's changing the subject. I think she's finally on subject. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Well, we Samaritans claim it's here on, on Mount Garrison, as she points probably to the ruins just above her, where our ancestors worshiped. Do you see what she's asking? You see the answers he's longing to know? 
Sir, you're a prophet. So please tell me, where's God? Your people say he's in Jerusalem. My people say he's in Mount Gerasim. Please tell me, where's God? I, I want to know. I really want to find him, but I don't know where to look. And guys, that's the dilemma of many searching people in our world today. Where's God? Where can I meet him? And who can I talk to that won't try to line and stack the evidence to support their own agendas and beliefs? Where's God? What an awesome, honest, childlike question. And again, I like to read how one writer describes this moment. He says, I give a thousand sunsets to see the expression on Jesus' face as he heard those words. Did his eyes water? Did he smile? Uh, did he look up into the heavens and wink at the Father? Of all the places to find a hungry heart, Samaria. Of all the Samaritans to be searching for God, a woman. Of all the women to have an insatiable appetite for God, a five-time divorcee. Of all the people to be chosen to personally receive the secret of the ages, an outcast among outcasts, the most insignificant person in the region. Where's the right place to worship? Where's God? In a sense, Jesus' answer was, no, it's, it's not about where, it's about who. It's about who God is and about who we are. The time is coming and is already here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for anyone who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. 2,000 years ago, a thirsty woman met Jesus at a well, and she was never the same. And now John continues in the story, and we see Jesus make for the very first time the greatest announcement in all of human history. And what, to me, what is so awesome, so cool, and so God is that he didn't make the announcement to Herod. He, 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 didn't, he, he didn't request an audience with the Jewish leaders. He, he didn't go into the Roman Senate to announce his identity. Instead, he, he, he announced his identity in the shade of a well in a rejected land to a tired, thirsty, lonely woman. The woman said, I, I know the Messiah will come, the one who's called the Christ. I know he's coming, and we've been waiting for a long time. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I mean, can you imagine? I am the Messiah. I mean, don't miss the drama of this moment. I mean, her eyes are wide open in amazement, and so is her mouth. And listen to her as she tries to form the words, you're kidding me. You're the Messiah. 2,000 years ago, a thirsty woman at a well met Jesus, and she was never the same. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want, Samaritan woman? Or, Jesus, why are you talking to her? You know better. Then leaving her jar, kind of symbolic, right? The thing she'd been trying to fill on her own that always kept running dry. This, is going, this relationship, come on, try five times. You know? it's not, it, six times, it's, it, it's going to work. And just a moment. An encounter with Jesus, all the pain of those broken romances disappeared. And all those feelings of being alone and tired and weary, unloved, unworthy, unsatisfied, evaporated like the morning mist in the desert heat. You see, she found her center. She found a rock. She found her salvation. She found Jesus. Then leaving her jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. That's a good way to get people's attention, right? Wow, you think he'll tell us all that stuff you did? 
you know? Could this be the Messiah? They came streaming out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, hey, did someone bring him food? And they started looking for empty KFC boxes and, you know, thought they, you know, Popeyes. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It, it, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. And look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. And as he's saying that, I, I kind of picture all those people from a town they wouldn't even walk through, people they wouldn't give the time of day to, streaming out of that village, walking right up to Jesus, saying, hey, wow, there was a harvest here. We were going to avoid that altogether. And look at all these people coming out to Jesus. Well, that's the story, and, and, and here's the, the point, and, and th- this will be rather quick, but, you know, I'm sure you've heard this story countless times, right? And, and, and this week, as I kept thinking on this story and trying to reflect in it and immerse myself in it, four words kept coming back. Four words, just like a neon light, were, if you only knew. If you only knew. If you only knew that no matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, if you only knew that no matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, that Jesus is not shocked, <laughs> that Jesus is not turned off, and that Jesus is not leaving, but that he still longs to be with you, still loves you, still cares about you, you would take off your mask, you would stop pretending, you would stop running and hiding from him, and instead you would run to him. If you only knew who he was, you would run to him and fall at his feet in worship and repentance as you immerse yourself in the light of his love, in the light of his mercy, in the light of his grace. If you only knew who Jesus is, God in the flesh, the creator of all things, if you only knew who Jesus is and the gift he has for you, if you only knew, you would not ask him, Steve, for surface things, for temporary things, for earthly things. Instead, you would ask him for living water so that you would never thirst again. You would ask him to be the center. I mean, could you imagine that? Never being thirsty again, always being satisfied. That's what Jesus offers us. If you only knew that no one, would, no one but Jesus will ever quench your thirst, you would go to him and you would stop looking for quenching in so many other lesser, lesser things. Understand, a better relationship, if your wealth increases, as David says, a new relationship, more money, more things, more pleasure, more fun, more good times, more popularity, more friends, more recognition, more success, more whatever are never going to satisfy your thirst. They never have, not for long, and they never will. But understand, we were created to be a thirsty people, but for God to quench that thirst. If you only knew that God can be found anytime. Anywhere, right where you are, you, you would seek him everywhere at all times in spirit and in truth. Where is God? He's right here. He's right here in this room. He's in every place at every time. 
If you only knew that, that true food and, and lasting satisfaction is, is found in, in leading someone to the living waters that are found only in Christ. We, we would open our eyes and see that vast fields are ripening all around us. And we would, with eagerness of the woman in John 4, run out to those fields and say, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. 2,000 years ago, a, a, a thirsty woman met a Jesus at a well, and she, she was never the same again. And, and by the way, neither were a whole lot of people in her town. As you finish out that chapter, right, they stream out to meet Jesus, and, and, and you know what they say? Hey, Jesus, will you hang out a couple more days? We booked a room at the Double Tree. They got great chocolate chip cookies, right? Again, of all you want at the desk, just ask, they'll give it to you. And Jesus hung out for a few days. And you know, you know what they wind up saying? They say, you know what? Now we really believe, not just because of what she said, but because we heard for ourselves. And here, here's the deal, you know. Our life change impacts other people, right? You know, John Snell's mom and dad, right? They found Jesus, encountered Jesus. They had life change. Did it just affect, you know, did it, and think of the people that their friends had invited them to that church, right? Did it just impact their life? No. Did it just impact uh, John's life and his two sisters? No. It, it affected others, you know, and it affected everybody else that they'll encounter. See, our changed lives affect the lives of other people. And, and Jesus said, you know, that when we were thirsty, in John 7, he says, you're thirsty, come to me and drink, and rivers of living water will flow from within you. And, and see, and so in so many ways, you know, our, our changed lives is not just for ourselves. Our changed lives impact the lives of, ev of other people. And that's what we want to be about as a church. A church whose lives are changed, and it's changed only by following Christ. It's changed only, only <coughs> excuse me, only when we encounter him is our life changed. You know, I, I always land at the same place, you know. It's a Sunday school answer, right? If your answer is always Jesus, you're right. What's the answer? Jesus. Jesus. God, the Bible, right? You know, hey, I'm going to get it right. But that's it. That's it. I mean, the living God wants to be your center. He wants to be your rock. He wants to be your salvation. He wants to be your hope, your joy, your confidence. You know, he wants to satisfy, satisfy your thirst. You know, the applause is going to die down. Your accomplishment, it was good this week, right? You know, talk about, you know, football players, right? Hey, you throw a touchdown this week, we won. Guess what? Next week you lose. You throw a couple pick sixes, and that, no, that was a bad week, right? It, it only lasts for so long, right? But satisfaction in Jesus lasts forever, and it comes from the inside, not the outside, but it comes from the inside out, true satisfaction, and that offer is not just for that woman at the well. You know, we don't have to keep lugging around a jar with a crack in it that's never going to hold water when we can have living water rising up from within ourselves. Amen? Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we love you, and God, thank you. Holy Spirit, for recording this lady's story. Thank you for the reminder, because I, I, I do stupid things, and I, I go to well, I dig my own well sometime, God, and they don't hold water, and I'm wondering why I'm not satisfied when you offer me 
satisfaction and, and a thirst that will be quenched forever. And God, it's an inside job. And, and Lord, I, I pray for my, my family in this room, Lord, that, that we would worship you now. And God, if we're here today, God, and we need a fresh dose of you, God, I, I pray that we just surrender to you. And, and, and God, if we're playing games with you and, and thinking we can be in your presence and still live any way that we want, God, may we understand that that's not how you do things. You're going to point out the wrong so that you can put us on the right path. And, and God, we thank you that no matter how many times we fall, no matter how many times we fail, your mercy remains. And God, I pray you begin to change us individually and as a church from the inside out so that rivers of living water will flow from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.